May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. You know, sometimes I think that fairy tales and uh, fables, you know, children's stories, I think sometimes they're wasted on the young, aren't they? I mean, can you think of any lessons that you were taught as a child in a story that you probably didn't get until you were really much older? Think about that. Fables and, and moral lessons are like this, sadly. As children, we maybe you know, understand the story for its elements. You know, the characters, the dialogues, the, the, the big parts of the stories. I mean, think about stories that you know from your childhood. Uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. When you're a kid, you know the characters, and you know kind of the big, the big story, don't you? Uh, you don't always know all the little nuances in it, though. Um, little Red Riding Hood, you knew the characters, you know, you knew the, the plot, maybe, but you didn't get some of the, the fine points of it. Um, if we're mature enough, we might get a little bit of a hint at what the moral weight of the story is when we're children, but it's not until we've lived a little bit longer that things actually start to make sense and hit home. Now, for example, there's the story of that, it's a story of a dog that finds a bone. You probably have heard this one a long, long time ago. Dog finds a bone, he's carrying it home in his mouth, he crosses a little bridge, and he looks down in the stream and he sees his reflection, right? And he sees a dog with a bone. He's looking at it, and what does he do? He drops his bone because he wants the other dog's bone, right? He drops his bone, he loses both. Okay? He goes into the water, and it was just his reflection. Now, as a young child, you probably understood, yeah, don't be greedy. Don't try to grab for the bone that isn't yours, or you might lose what you already have, right? But how many five- or six-year-olds have experienced something like that? Not many. But how many of us, after a few decades of living, have learned the lesson through our own greed, you know, through through our own, you know, trying to satisfy our own selfish desires, or by seeing other people do that very thing. We come to know it quite uh, much better as adults, don't we? We certainly understand that story better as an adult as we, than we did as a child. Now, the stories that Jesus tells in the Gospels, the parables, they're, all, they're a little bit like that, but we need to think not in terms of individual age of the person hearing it always, but also in terms of our point of view as, as a people. And today's Gospel reading is a perfect example of that. In, in the 21st chapter of St. Matthew, we heard the parable uh, that's, that's so incredibly rich in allegory, the story of the, the vine dressers. And it, it's been received by the church for a long time in, in very symbolic fashion. I mean, you, you probably figured it out as you heard it. You know, the, the householder we read as being God, the servants who were sent to the tenants as being the prophets of Israel, giving warning. The tenants themselves are you know, Israel as a whole. And the son of the householder, the one who comes and they beat and they kill, well, that's obvious. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Well, when we see this with our, with our post-resurrection glasses, you know, with the lenses that we have as Christians, well, we of course come to understand the parable in this way, don't we? That even... Even though the old Israel rejected and killed the son, we now are presumably left as the new Israel who are called to faithfulness and who are called to embrace the message of Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly enough, 
Interestingly enough, it's pointed out by some scholars, and notably by one of whom I've always been rather fond, uh, the late Father Reginald Fuller, some of you might recognize the name, uh, pointed out that this parable was perhaps received in a slightly different way by those who first heard it, the Jews, the first century Jews who first heard it, and those who do not have the crucifixion and the resurrection as a point of reference. They may have received it slightly differently. Father Fuller, whom I studied under at Neshota House during his last years of retirement, and as it turned out to be his last years of his life, he reminds us that the Jews who heard this parable were told by Jesus that the kingdom of God would be taken away from you, he says in the parable, it would be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. And he suggests that the kingdom, or the vineyard, would actually be given to the tenant vine dressers. You know, the people who wanted to you know, kill the heir so that they'd get the vine, the, vine uh, the vineyard. He suggests, yeah, they're actually going to get it, believe it or not. And the point of the parable in that context is that we are to seek after the kingdom of God with everything that we have. All of our being, we are supposed to be seeking after it. I mean, the vine dressers were even willing to go out and kill the air to lay hold of the vineyard, to lay hold of the kingdom. Zeal, then, zeal is what is being urged upon Israel. Zeal for the kingdom of God. Don't be cold about it. Don't be cold about it. For from a people who have grown cold about the word of God and about his coming kingdom, well, it's all going to be taken away. It's going to be taken away it's going to be given to those who will produce the fruits of it. It will be given to those who seek after it with great zeal. If you're cold about it, forget it. Just go. It's going to be taken away. You're on fire? Come on. Let's go. People who would seek after it with such a fire in the belly that nothing is going to stand between them and their God. Nothing. Well, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the benefit of understanding this parable, you see, then, in two similar but very highly nuanced ways, don't we? Yes, we are given this as encouragement. It's encouragement that we are, indeed, the new Israel. And that while, while some people rejected the Son in the past, we have this opportunity as the Church of God, the, holy, the, the mystical Bride of Christ, the new Israel, we have this opportunity to receive him and to acclaim him as Lord of all. The very living God of heaven and earth. But, just as importantly, just as importantly, we are not just given encouragement, but hopefully we get a little bit of a fire lit beneath us as well, don't we? But we better. Better get a bit of a fire lit beneath us. Do you want to inherit the kingdom? It's asking. Do you want to inherit the kingdom? Do you? Do you? Well, go after it with such single-mindedness. Go after it with such focus, with such clear focus, that you're not going to let anything get in your way. Not a thing. I mean, I'm not encouraging, and Jesus is not encouraging us to go out and kill anybody, isn't that? That's not the kind of zeal he's talking about. He's using that as part of the example. But it comes to us as a lesson to strive to make Christ known with all that we have. 
Don't let anything get in your way. Work to be his disciple with all that you are. Is something earthly getting in your way? Well, it's got to be put aside. How often do we let all the cares of life just kind of crowd in on us and, you know, the cross just gets obscured? You know, I'm so busy, i got all this stuff to do. All these things over there. All the stuff on my plate, i got to get to. i got to get... My, my life is so busy. And the cross of Christ gets obscured. Don't let that happen, Christian. That's what it's coming to tell us. Work to be his disciple with all that you are. Allow yourself to die to self and die to the world and be alive in Christ Jesus. And yearn for those things that are the hallmarks of the kingdom. Even as we work to make the kingdom present right here and right now. That we seek after righteousness. That we work for justice. That we work for peace. That we display love in our lives to each other and to those who are even outside the church. That we display love to others. That we lay down our very lives for others, loving them as Christ loved us. You see, that's what this church is called to do. That's what we, as the mystical body of Christ, are called to do. To be so on fire for Jesus Christ that we stop at nothing to make Him known. That's our, our prime directive, if you're a Star Trek fan. That's, our, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That we might be filled with God's grace to go out and be His ambassadors in the world to tell others of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Now leave us with the words of St. Justin Martyr from back in the 2nd century, the middle of the 2nd century. St. Justin Martyr, he encouraged those in a very persecuted church, you know, in his day, he encouraged them with the reminder that the Lord will send you a scepter of power out of Jerusalem. This is a prophecy of the mighty Logos, the word which his apostles, going out of Jerusalem, proclaim everywhere. Him we worship, St. Justin said. Him we worship and him we teach everywhere, although death is decreed for all those who teach or even profess the name of Jesus Christ. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, let us make that our meditation this week. Could we? Let's dwell on that. That we might seek to live into, and, and then even display, such zeal and such a desire for the kingdom and for our inheritance as sons and daughters of God, that nothing, nothing would ever get between us and the work that our Lord has given us. Persecution, not even the threat of death, as St. Justin Martyr says. Go about professing, go about teaching, go about acclaiming him. Let nothing get in your way. What a beautiful challenge that no amount of ridicule, no amount of persecution or death would ever stop us from professing the name of our Lord Jesus Christ with the Father in the unity of the holy and life-giving Spirit lives and reigns ever one God, world without end.